and welcome to the podcast version of COS Live, a weekly program keeping you up to date on the Article 5 movement working to reclaim liberty in America. You can watch the original live broadcasts on Convention of States Rumble, YouTube, Facebook, and X. And now, here's COS Live. Welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I will be your host. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Rita Peters, who's also the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs. Rita, great to be back with you on this Tuesday. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. And I'm excited about our program today. It's something a lot different than the things we normally do. So I'll I'll let you tell our audience what it's going to be. Very excited for our program as well. Unfortunately, Rita, we don't have uh, Congressman Burchin today. He is tied up in the craziness that is going on in Congress right now with selecting a new speaker. So we're probably not going to have him on the show until that is figured out and we have a new speaker. So please be waiting in anticipation to hear from Congressman uh, Burchin in the near future. Since we're on the topic of Congress, though, are they starting to pay attention to what's happening in the states and what's happening with uh, this push for an Article 5 convention of states. Because last month, before we had all of the craziness with uh, with a new speaker, there was a subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee that talked about convention of states. And there was some awesome testimony that we want to get to today. We want to go through some of the things that were said about Article 5, that were said about, uh, about a convention of states, and some of the uh, issues that get that got brought up there. So we're going to be doing a dive into that later on in the program. We also have a new edition of COS Now to keep you up to date with everything Convention of States. But of course, before we go to that, we can't start the program without doing an Article 5 trivia giveaway with COS Vice President Mike Ruthenberg. So Mike, over to you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Rita. It is our 10th anniversary year. It's such an exciting time to be here right now as we get to learn a little bit more about what's happening. And in our 10 years, you know, a lot of people, some people say, I shouldn't say a lot of people, some people do say, what's taking so long to get to 34 states? And other people are like, wow, this is incredible. We are literally hovering over the target. And today's show will certainly show, since the U.S. Congress is talking about what we talk about every day, that we are probably over the target. So what I'm gonna do today is a little bit of trivia. If you win today, you're gonna get this cool hat, trucker cap, we call it. Comes in green or blue, you can choose. Or you can just go to shopconventionstates.com. But one thing that I would urge you to do is to put the date Thursday through Wednesday of next week onto your calendar because during that time, all of our hats will be 15% off. We're going to give a discount to anybody that goes in there and wants to buy a hat. You don't need a discount code or anything. All I know is the hats are really cool, whether it's covering up a bad hair day or keeping that glare out of your eye. The trucker cap is a wonderful, comfortable, structured, long-lasting hat that is branded COS and made in the U.S. of A. All right, now it's time to get down to business. I think there's going to be a lot of people competing for the prize today because there's so many of you that understand Article 5 and know what's going on. So here's our question of the day. And the United States Constitution provides, of course, for two ways to amend the Constitution. One is through our legislature. And many of you know it's been done 27 times. But what is the role? Here's my question. What's the role 
of Congress in the Article 5 convention process, underscoring the word convention. There's two ways, the convention process, the other one. What's the Congress's role in that aspect? That's my question for today. And if you don't win the hat, don't forget to go to shopconventionestates.com. I'll be back a little bit later after hear some really cool news from Rita and Andrew with the answer and some fun facts about what we're talking about. Back to you guys. Thanks, Mike. Well, it's time again to see some history being made. It is COS Now. Congress is starting to pay attention. Last month, the House Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution and Limited Government held a hearing examining proposed constitutional amendments and the Article 5 convention process. After some opening comments from the chair... Today, no such convention, convention has ever been called, but efforts have been underway in recent years to do so. And the ranking member... But the secondary and more troubling purpose of this hearing is to normalize the idea of a second constitutional convention. And Jim Jordan... Everybody has to balance their budget except the one entity that has the $33 trillion debt. A representative with the Soros-funded Common Cause spewed the regular confusion, helped along by the equally confused Congresswoman Ballant. Mr. Spaulding, can you explain the worst-case scenario for an Article 5 convention? Do you think it's fair to say that an Article 5 convention has the potential to follow unrepresentative processes and could result in some very undemocratic outcomes? A absolutely. Um, Again, the language is so spare. A representative from the Heritage Foundation, on the other hand, used strange things like historic facts and court precedent to provide direct answers to the committee members. Can Congress set a time limit for states to ratify a proposed amendment? Absolutely they can, and they've done it many, many times. In the amendment process, can a state legislature alter or amend the language of a proposed constitutional amendment after it has been transmitted to them for ratification? Uh, n not in any substantive way, no. An Article V convention is an interstate convention, what the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel has described as a, quote, servant of the legislatures, end quote. Meanwhile, Congressman Nadler attacked the simulated Article V convention held by Convention of States Foundation. The mock convention resulted in, among other things, the adoption of a limitation of Congress' power to regulate interstate commerce, which would negatively impact numerous areas of public policy. Would an Article V convention be more likely to threaten or to protect Americans' individual and civil rights? Well, the Convention of States and the organization that has been pushing this amendment and has been uh, getting a number of states to call for this convention uh, is calling for a radical rewrite of the Commerce Clause. Congressman Fry, on the other hand, expressed his continued support for Convention of States. Uh, when I was in the South Carolina General Assembly, uh, I supported a joint resolution calling for an Article V Convention of States. This was just last year. It passed this re resolution and became the 19th state in the country calling for that Convention of States. We'll be dedicating an entire episode of CUS Live to breaking down this hearing in the near future. With the ongoing conflict in Israel, CUS President Mark Meckler and Rita Peters shared their thoughts. There's an old saying, which is, if the Jews would lay down their arms today, tomorrow all the Jews would be dead. If the Arabs would lay down their arms tomorrow, there would be peace. That's from a two-part edition of Crossroads, a weekly show airing Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on Convention of States platforms. And finally, we want to acknowledge the passing of perhaps the greatest grassroots activist in the history of our movement, Sammy Hammers of Texas. Earlier this year, Sammy was tragically diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. 
She topped nationwide leadership charts by making over 107,000 personal contacts and 25,000 phone calls to new petition signers. She was a key part of making Texas State Number 11 to join the movement. Texas Representative Briscoe Kane said it was because of Sammy that he became a champion for Convention of States. Earlier this year, the Convention of States Texas team awarded Sammy with the first-ever Sammy Hammers Legacy Award. In a statement, Mark Meckler wrote, Sammy Hammers was truly one of a kind, an irreplaceable figure in COS and indeed American history. She inspired everyone she knew with her indomitable spirit, tireless activism, and unyielding commitment. She fought the good fight. She finished her race well. And now, you're up to date with Convention of States. All right, Rita. Well, I want to go to you to react at the latest edition of COS Now. And real quick, thank you, Producer G, for always putting together such great montages for us and keeping us up to date, keeping our supporters up to date. But Rita, I want to go to you. What was the one thing that you'd like to, com that you'd like to comment from the latest COS Now? Well, I have to say, Producer G does a great job, but he keeps pulling these um, tearjerkers on us. Um, uh, so sad um, about the passing of Sammy Hammers, you know, in, in a way, we'll miss her. We're forever grateful to her for all her wonderful work. Um, but what a legacy she leaves, you know, um, just working to make a difference, to make an impact for future generations of Americans to the very end. And in that regard, her legacy is very similar to that of our dear friend, the late Senator Tom Coburn, um, just two great patriots. And I'm just so grateful for their work and their legacy. And um, also want to say, Andrew, love Producer G's little um, commentary on the Congressional Subcommittee hearing, which we are about to um, also address and go into a little bit more detail. <laughs> but I don't know if we can do it any better than he does. His little comments are um, so pithy, but I am excited to bring that to our audience today. What about you, Andrew? Anything stand out to you? Yeah, I, I, I want to comment on Producer G's. Uh, uh, his commentary as well. He always keeps it entertaining, and I love it. I love the one clip about with Nadler, and oh my gosh, it's so horrifying. You mean we can't control commerce anymore? Oh, I love it. Just just seeing them squirm when they hear that they're going to be losing their power is 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 just great to hear. And then yeah. with with Sammy, I didn't. I unfortunately didn't get the opportunity to ever meet her, but I have heard through so many different people in the grassroots, just the level of impact she had, not just for people in Texas, but people here in some of the Western states like California. Um, there's several people who got to interact with Sammy and she was just a, an, an unbelievable presence, I'm, I'm told, and that mm -hmm. she was an inspiration, um, not just with her, with her work that she did and her patriotism, but just also her love of God and her love of other people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I wish that I had the opportunity to to experience some of that, but unfortunately I did not. But at least I get to hear about it through others, which is a blessing. Yes. So, and and that's just, I guess that speaks to her legacy that she touched so many people. That's right. Well, Rita, with that, why don't we get to uh, diving into several of these clips that we have from that committee hearing, uh, or was the subcommittee hearing. Uh, Producer G did touch on a lot of stuff, but we have individual clips that we're going to be playing. So, Producer G, why don't you get the first one? This is uh, the opening from Chairman Johnson. 
The founders viewed the ability to amend the Constitution as one of its most important features, and it has been that. At the convention, Elbridge Gerry argued that, quote, the novelty and difficulty of the constitutional experiment requires periodical revision. George Mason similarly acknowledged that, quote, amendments will be necessary and it will be better to provide for them in, in an easy, regular, and constitutional way. Of course, we've used Article V, that process, to amend the Constitution 27 times since 1787, most recently in 1992. The provisions of Article V create a very difficult process to change the Constitution, and of course, that is by design. They didn't want it to be done arbitrarily. The two mechanisms to amend are very straightforward. An amendment may be proposed by a two-thirds vote of both houses of Congress and then be ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures, or an amendment may be proposed by two-thirds of the states and a convention called for that purpose. That amendment must then be ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures, or three-fourths of the conventions called in each state for ratification. To date, no such convention has ever been called, but efforts have been underway in recent years to do so. The witnesses before us today will speak about the process for proposing amendments and specific proposed amendments as well. We'll hear about a proposed amendment introduced by Representative Ralph Norman to impose term limits on members of Congress. I'll say parenthetically, many of us here agree with that idea, and I have uh, joined in legislation for years to urge that change. We'll also hear about the balanced budget amendment, which would impose a measure of fiscal discipline that Congress has lacked in recent decades. I certainly agree with that very sensible idea as well. All right, Rita, what's your reaction to that first clip from well, uh, the chairman? Yeah, so I have to say <clears throat> it is so refreshing to hear the congressman recite important pertinent parts of history. You know, so it seems like so few people, even public servants, public officials today, don't know the history of Article 5, <clears throat> excuse me, or why the convention method was included in Article 5 as a second mode for the proposal of constitutional amendments. Of course, proposal by Congress being the first mode and the only one that we've ever used. Um, but I love how he points out that the founders thought it was important to include the second mode to let a convention of the states propose amendments. And the other thing I thought was really noteworthy um, was him pointing out the founders' recognition that they hadn't created a constitution that was just all perfect and set and would never need to be adjusted, would never need to be amended. No, they all knew that amendments would be needed. And in fact, when the convention um, method was introduced and added to Article 5 at the Constitutional Convention, it was specifically because they knew there would be times when the federal government would become overbearing or oppressive and that the people would need a way to bypass Congress to get those needed amendments. So, um, yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman, for knowing your history and educating the American people about the history of Article 5. All right, let's go to the second clip that we have. This one's Congresswoman Scalon. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. She's the ranking member, and she is going to read some of the opposition uh, talking points in the opening comments. 
Our colleagues across the aisle have called this hearing in order to highlight some amendments which they would like to make to the Constitution, but which have failed to gain traction over the years. I'll discuss them briefly in a moment. But the secondary and more troubling purpose of this hearing is to normalize the idea of a second constitutional convention, which is being actively promoted in some Republican circles. Article 5 also provides for Congress to call a constitutional convention if two-thirds of state legislatures petition Congress for such a convention. Three-fourths of the states would then have to ratify any revisions made by such a convention. Beyond this, neither the Constitution nor history provide much guidance. Although some will argue today that the push for a constitutional convention is a grassroots movement, it's actually an astroturf effort, fueled by dark money in order to promote an extremist agenda. Essentially, being unable to gain the popular support to amend the Constitution in the traditional matter, some right-wing factions are now seeking to convene a convention to remake the Constitution to their liking. All right, Rita, there's a couple things that I want to point out there that you can then comment on, and then feel free to comment on more. She said that there's no history to guide, to guide us, which seems to be completely opposite from what the chairman said, Chairman Johnson, and that there, there would be no history to guide a convention. And then she also said, well, let's just start with that. No history. Can you, can you comment on that? Well, it's just patently false. And frankly, it just really exposes her ignorance in a way that is sad and frankly embarrassing to her. Um, our, our nation has a rich history of interstate conventions. When the founding fathers chose to include the convention method for proposing amendments in Article 5, of course, they weren't just making up something new out of thin air. They included it because it was a process that was so well known to them and, you know, basically has universal um, operating protocols and everybody knew how they worked. So it was really a ridiculous thing to say. And, it, you know, sadly, it wasn't the only ridiculous thing that was said, though, Um I want to point out that, you know, she she suggested that the two amendment proposals that the chair and others on the committee seem interested in, namely a balanced budget amendment and term limits proposals on um, federal officials had gained no traction. Well, <laughs> perhaps no traction with herself or maybe some other members of Congress, but Madam, the American people beg to differ. Um, those two proposals in particular have incredible traction with the American people. And, you know, this also goes to her allegation that uh, the Convention of States movement is not a grassroots movement, but an astroturf movement. Well, Madam, the 2.5 million petition signers, you know, all of the people across the nation the volunteer leadership teams in all 50 states of the nation would beg to differ. We are a grassroots movement, and I suggest that you start to pay attention to what the people are saying. Love it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't help but laugh when she said that we're not grassroots, that we're astroturf, and that we're funded by dark money. That's just that's a, a, a slander that's always thrown at us, funded by dark money. Ooh, yeah. look out, those convention of states people, they're funded by dark money and George Soros and all these other things. When when you look at it, 
it's the grassroots that is funding this. It's their yeah. time, talent, and treasure that's going into this because the people right. are sick and tired of Congress. And Andrew, I just have to wonder um, what Sammy Hammers is, you know, thinking as she sits somewhere and hears um, Congresswoman Scanlon um, say that we're not a grassroots movement. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, we beg to differ. There's one other thing that was said that I want to comment on, Andrew. Um, she claimed that part of the purpose of the subcommittee hearing um, was to normalize the idea of a second constitutional convention. Um, well, you know, first of all, this isn't about a second constitutional convention. This is about the first ever Article 5 convention to propose amendments to the Constitution. So she's just, you know, wrong on the facts, confused about what type of convention we're talking about, and normalize it. Yes, we should absolutely be normalizing the processes that our founding fathers gave to we the people in the Constitution in order to correct abuses of power. Yes, absolutely. We want to normalize that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's go to the third clip. We have Jim Jordan's comments, and he's talking about a balanced budget amendment in this particular clip. Seems to me there are 33 trillion reasons why we need a balanced budget amendment. Um, every state has to balance their budget, every county, every city, every township. Everybody has to balance their budget except the one entity that has the $33 trillion debt. So maybe we should just have a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution and just start tackling this huge, huge problem. And maybe one of the ways to help in that effort is to limit the terms of the politicians who've created the $33 trillion debt. That seems pretty common sense to me. The good folks I get the privilege of representing back in the 4th District of Ohio, my guess is the vast majority of them would say, that's pretty common sense. And so I appreciate the witnesses who are here today, the fact that we're talking about these issues, something that I think needs to happen and should have happened a long time ago. With that, I yield back. Okay, Rita, what's your reaction to Jim Jordan talking about the need for a balanced budget amendment? Amen. <laughs> you know, right on. Um, I love how he points out that every state has to balance its budget. So it's a little bit mystifying, you know, when people act like it's somehow absurd that we should expect that of the federal government. Well, no. Of course, we should expect the federal government to balance its budget. Um, and I do think, you know, as he mentioned, term limits would help. However, the other thing that's needed is limits on the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, because, you know, we're going to have to cut back on all the different things that Congress and, you know, the, the bureaucrats in Washington are trying to control and all these programs that they actually have no power over in the first place under the Constitution. But that's a big part of the reason they are spending so much money is because they're trying to be in control of everything. And they were never meant to be that. They were never meant to be a super legislature that manages all areas of authority, you know, all areas of policymaking. No. So we need to cut back on all of that. And 33 trillion reasons? Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you and with uh, with Congressman uh, Jim Jordan. I mean, something's just got to give, and there's just been no accountability for for half half a century now with regard to spending. No accountability at all, and it's time for the people to hold Congress accountable, not by just electing new people to Congress, but by restricting the their ability, their power to issue new spending and to spend on whatever they like any pet project or you know bridges that go to nowhere all of that stuff so couldn't agree more with you okay we got now coming up on this next clip is the opening comments from mr spaulding who is a part of a soros funded common cause so he's a common cause representative article 5 provides no rules for how a convention would work who sets the rules who enforces the rules can it be limited to a single subject? How would the delegates be chosen? Will the convention be one person, one vote, sort of like the House, or one state, one vote, sort of like the Senate? Could the convention, or I should say two votes in the Senate, but equal representation of the states in the Senate? Could the convention require a supermajority to propose amendments? And if each state gets one vote, should it still require delegates who represent a majority of the population to support an amendment that gets proposed? The point is there are no settled answers to these questions. All right, Rita, he threw a lot in that 30-second clip. What's what's your response to some of those, those questions that he says have never been answered? Well, I'm just going to let him know. Mr. Spaulding, if you are watching, I would love to send you a copy of this book. And I would I would pay for it myself. I'll mail it to you. Reach out to me. You can reach me at rpeters at cosaction.com. And I would be happy to send you a copy. In this book, The Law of Article 5, written by the nation's um, preeminent scholar on Article 5 and its history, and the law of Article 5, of course, that's the title of the book, um, there's a rich body of case law, Mr. Spaulding, that's all about Article 5. And there's also, as I mentioned before, a very rich history of interstate conventions, which form the precedent that inform all of those questions that you're asking. So um, I'd love to provide you with that book. It's a great resource. The questions do have answers. All right, Rita, let's go to clip five. We have the opening remarks from Mr. Jipping, who's part of our, uh, who's uh, one of our friends at Heritage Foundation. The framers sought to give the states a way to initiate amendments before, by compromise, they gave that power to Congress. An Article V convention is an interstate convention, what the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel has described as a, quote, servant of the legislatures, end quote, rather than an independent body. Its powers, therefore, are defined by the states expressed through their applications for a convention. In deciding whether it must call an Article V convention, Congress must be guided by the fact that the framers did not want Congress to interfere in the convention process. A February 1993 House Judiciary Committee report reviewed many of the questions that Congress must consider in that light, including whether convention applications that specify a particular subject may be counted with those that do not, whether applications that specify different subjects may be counted together, whether applications must be worded identically or be relatively contemporaneous, 
and whether states may rescind or withdraw an application before the two-thirds threshold is reached. Current campaigns for an Article V convention appear to be taking steps to minimize conflicts over these issues. The Convention of States, for example, advocates that states pass an identical application limited to proposing amendments that would impose federal or fiscal restraints on the federal government, <clears throat> limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. All right, there you have it. Our name was mentioned there by Mr. Jippings. I, I love that. Uh, what's your reaction to his opening comments? I loved his entire testimony, his opening comments, his responses to the questions that he got asked a little bit later. He did an incredible job. And did you hear that, Andrew? He not only mentioned our organization, but then he read the operative provisions mm -hmm. of our Article 5 application. Um, he recited the three subject matters, imposing fiscal restraints on the federal government, limiting its power and jurisdiction, and setting term limits for federal officials, which of course would also include bureaucrats. Um, so I love, I love what he said. He did a great job. And in fact, Andrew, I got an opportunity um, shortly after that hearing to talk to him and to tell him in person what a great, great job he did. And he seemed a little bit surprised that people were outside of the room were actually watching. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm a big Article 5 geek. As of course I was watching, and you're a celebrity to many of us now. Um, but I thought he did a great job. Um, the thing in that clip I loved the most that he said was that the Article 5 convention is the servant of the legislatures. And that really tells you most of what you need to know uh, about how it works is that the um the delegations that go are representing their state legislatures and they are subject to their authority and control and recall at all times. So great job. Thank you, Mr. Jipping. So are you saying then, Rita, that commissioners can't go rogue at a convention? Is that what you're telling me? No, I mean, they could try. Maybe one of them would go crazy when they got there, you know, and just totally lose their mind and try to do something absurd. It would take one other commissioner in the entire convention to stand up and say, point of order, you know, that that's not germane or whatever. And it would be sustained. And immediately the state legislature could and would recall that rogue commissioner and anything they tried to do outside the scope of their legitimate authority would be void. I mean, those are just the basics of um, agency law 101 that every attorney takes in law school. So yes, we don't need to be afraid about the rogue commissioners. And obviously Mr. Jippings gets that and he articulated that. Let's get now to some other comments where the facts, the history, and all of that stuff surrounding Article 5 and, and its true identity is not really understood. Let's go to uh, Congressman Nadler and his attacks on COS Foundation's recent simulated convention. <clears throat> Last month, a far-right group convention of states organized a so-called simulation of an Article 5 convention. The mock convention resulted in, among other things, the adoption of a limitation on Congress' power to regulate interstate commerce, which would negatively impact numerous areas of public policy, 
including the continued viability of federal civil rights laws like the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and other laws that prohibit discrimination in public accommodations. In your view, would an Article V convention be more likely to threaten or to protect Americans' individual and civil rights? Well, the Convention of States and the organization that has been pushing this amendment and has been uh, getting a number of states to call for this convention uh, is calling for a radical rewrite of the Commerce Clause to do exactly uh, what you are talking about. I think it is a significant major risk, given that that is one of their top priorities, is a significant rewrite of the Commerce Clause. Um, but it is uh, extremely dangerous. And if you look at the uh, whole host of things that came out of their mock convention, um, that was among uh, their top priority. They also would posit that a simple majority of states could rescind any act of Congress, the president, or a federal agency. Oh my goodness, Rita, the horror of being <laughs> able to rescind the acts of Congress. And Did I miss something? I, I mean, I was at the simulated convention with you. Did I miss something? Rewriting the Commerce Clause is something somehow attached to civil rights and undoing the Civil Rights Act of 1964 or something like that. Did I miss something, Rita? Yeah, it's all, um, it's all, of course, an attempt to spread fear and panic and obscure, um, you know, what this is really about. And I have to say, Andrew, I just find it comical that he had to refer to the simulated convention as a so-called simulated convention. <laughs> nope, it was a simulated convention. It really was. Um, I also find it interesting for him to assert that a convention of the states called pursuant to our application. And by the way, I love that he's talking about us, right? We got to love that. Um, that means we're on target with what we're doing. But I, I find it interesting that he said it would negatively impact public policy. Well, I guess that depends on your perspective, right? Um, and of course, what what we would be wanting to do, the, the one amendment proposal that came out of the simulated convention addressing the Commerce Clause was not a dramatic rewrite of the Commerce Clause, but what it would do would be to clarify what the Commerce Clause, as written in the Constitution, actually means, and to correct a lot of the um, broadening of the Commerce Clause, Clause that has happened since the Constitution was written that have totally um, expanded congressional power and bureaucratic power way beyond what it was intended to ever be. Um, so I would call that a very positive impact on public policy, Andrew. Well, of course, of course, it's positive impact for the people and the states, but not for Congress. They That's want right. to obfuscate. We want to clarify. Yep. So it doesn't <laughs> shock me that he's against it. It doesn't shock me that they're trying to use fear tactics and fear mongering. It's just part of it's part of the norm over there in Congress, right? We're yep. trying to normalize using the process given to us by the founding fathers. They're trying to keep the normal of obfuscating and retaining their power. So there you have not it. Not shocked that they're squirming. No. Nope. All right, Rita, <laughs> we got one more clip. This one's from Congressman Fry on helping South Carolina become state number 19. Uh, when I was in the South Carolina General Assembly, uh, I supported a joint resolution 
calling for an Article V Convention of States. This was just last year. It passed this re resolution and became the 19th state in the country calling for that Convention of States. And so we, we've seen lots of rewriting of the Constitution. Uh, people who say that that could happen by a very long and considered process involving a convention, the Supreme Court does it all the time. So we, we have an illegitimate process of changing our Constitution through the Supreme Court. I worked for Senator Orrin Hatch. One of his predecessors as a senator from Utah was on the Supreme Court, George Sutherland. He wrote, there's a difference between amendment and inter an amendment in the guise of interpretation. Right, so if you look at this, there's been thousands, thousands of amendments proposed to the Constitution and a handful of them have been adopted. That, that's right, about over 12,000 joint resolutions have been introduced in Congress to propose constitutional amendments. Congress has proposed 33. Right, and so to, to the point, you know, I hear the sky is falling um, from uh, the other gentleman earlier, like that we're going to somehow go backwards uh, in some way, but to me, the only thing that could be proposed and ratified are things that are extremely popular with the American public. All right, Rita, what, what do you think about those comments <clears throat> from Congressman Fry and all that he did to help South Carolina become number 19? And then Mr. Jipping's comments as well. Yeah. Well, first of all, Congressman Fry, thank you for all that you did to help get South Carolina um, passed and become state number 19. That's awesome. And, you know, I just think Congressman Fry is um, a voice of reason in, in this hearing. And, you know, um, they, if you listen to the entire hearing, you also hear, um, discussion between Congressman Fry, I believe, and Mr. Jipping. And they go on to point out that at an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments, the convention only has the exact same power that Congress has under Article 5. It's the power to propose amendments. And, you know, you heard them there in that clip talk about how only amendments that are really popular with the whole American people are going to be ratified because it's really tough to ratify an amendment. And so, again, it's the voice of reason, the voice of sanity. The sky is not falling. And why in the world isn't? No, no one has ever been able to explain to me why it is that there are so many people who want us to be afraid of a convention for proposing amendments that apparently aren't afraid at all that Congress has the exact same power that the convention has under Article 5. It just doesn't make any sense. Andrew, does that bother you the way it bothers me? <laughs> Yes, of course it bothers me because it's identical power. Yeah. Uh, the ability, they both have the power to propose and then the states through the state legislature has the power to, to, to ratify. So mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense. If you're afraid of one, you got to be afraid of the other. So yep. I think we just need to clearly communicate that. And just another thing that was interesting to me that Mr. Jipping talked about, he said that uh, we see amendments in the form of court interpretation I thought that was just so great yes. to put out there because that is so true over the last half century, maybe even longer a century. We've been we've seen the federal government grow its power, not from, uh, you know, not because the people want the power to be grown and centralized, but because the uh, Supreme Court justices and just they, they decide to 
um, interpret the Constitution however they like to fit a specific narrative. And I think it's Rick Green that calls it the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's him. I think we can attribute that to him. But what really shocked me, Rita, was um, the first time I heard that the, 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 there's an annotated Constitution that's 3,000 pages long and that has all that's of right. the Supreme Court interpretations. And then it just dawned on me that, yeah, they are following the Constitution, and that justifies what they're doing because they have it right here. It's the annotated mm -hmm. Constitution, and they are yeah. following it. Yeah, and I, I love, too, um, that Mr. Jipping pointed out and referred to all the illegitimate ways that the Constitution is effectively amended all the time. And, you know, George Washington referred to that and warned us about that in one of his farewell addresses where he said, let there be no change by usurpation. And that is what has happened. The Supreme Court and Congress have usurped power um, by creatively lawyering around with the language in the Constitution. And that is exactly what we are trying to use this legitimate process under Article 5 to correct. Mm -hmm. All right, Rita, any final comments before we head to the Article 5 trivia giveaway answer? Uh, final comments on, on just the hearing or anything else? I just want to encourage our supporters who are um, watching the program they're talking about what we're doing. You know, some of you saw a few of the members of Congress there who are supportive and excited about what we're doing. And then you saw the others who are shaken in their boots because they don't want to let go of their power. So let that be an encouragement to you. Keep up the good work. If you're watching and you're still sitting on the sidelines, join us. Go to conventionofstates.com and get involved. All right, with that, we're going to go over to our Article 5 Trivia Giveaway answer with CUS Vice President Mike Ruthenberg. Mike, back to you. Wow. Thank you guys so much for a great, great show, pulling all those clips together, giving the commentary on exactly what is happening when, uh, when the Congress is discussing Article 5. Of course, they have some experience utilizing Article 5 27 times to come up with amendments to our Constitution, many times very needed, sometimes done and then undone. But in either case, we know that there's another way to amend the Constitution, and that is uh, the Article 5 convention process. My question, if you remember it from earlier in the show, is what is the Congress's role in the Article 5 convention process. And some people of you may have answered or did answer, well, no role. Well, that's not true. They do have a role, but it is a ministerial role. And that role is to call the time of the convention. In other words, we get to 34 states, the Congress says this will happen on this date and time. And the place, it will happen in this location. That's the answer to the Congress's role. It's a ministerial role, meaning that they are compelled to fulfill that role once we get to 34 states in the states and you're probably also aware right now we have 19 past states on our way to 34 we are getting close we're hovering over the target and it may not seem like it to some of you that really want things to go quick but remember this is god's time that we're doing this in 
And it's also important to know that once you start to build momentum, the first ones are difficult, difficult. You keep climbing up the hill and then eventually you get that momentum and whoo, you crest the hill and start speeding down the other side, which is something I certainly anticipate. We will someday hit that momentum. And what's more important is that we're successful. And the question is not if, and certainly not in my mind. Thank you guys for listening. I'm going to turn it back over to you, Rita and Andrew, to close out the show. Thanks, Mike. Well, Rita, we're going to sign off. Don't forget there's a new episode of Crossroads with Rita on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Tune in for the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure that you leave us a five-star review on our podcast because that helps us reach more people. It helps us grow the show and it brings more awareness to the secret weapon that we have in Article 5. Rita, uh, we'll see you again next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget, we have a country to save, so it's time to get back to work. Thank you for listening to today's program. For information, please visit www.conventionofstates.com forward slash pod. That's www.conventionofstates.com forward slash pod.